Welcome to the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Nadia Dela Cruz, founder of the Wayne Dyer Wisdom Community on Facebook and angeltarot.org. My guest today grew up in the Bible Belt with a conservative religious background. His devotion was such that he later became a pastor, sharing his faith with others. After facing a conflict with his own daughter, he and his wife reevaluated the beliefs that were dividing their family. They ultimately chose to look outside of Christianity for more understanding. He left the church and began exploring the teachings of spirituality, developing a wonderful relationship with his daughter along the way, and gaining a new outlook on life. Tim Nixon, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here, Nadia. It is uh, the synchronicities that brought us to this point are just amazing. <laughs> yes. All from I a think picture. It's it's really interesting how we met because what happened is um, I was reading some of the works of Ram Dass or listening to his talks or I don't know, maybe I was just thinking about him that day and I was looking at pictures of him and there was this picture of him smiling and it wasn't like one of the most common pictures, but something really struck me about it and I, I felt this nudge to share it. And so I go on Facebook and I share this picture and I'm like, well, I really should put a quote or a meme or, you know, something like, I think it's the only time I've ever shared just a photo with, without right. saying anything. I didn't even say his name. Like if people who didn't know, wouldn't know. And then uh, probably a couple hours later, you commented on that post and said, Hey, this is my profile picture right now. <laughs> right, yeah. And, um, and then we got to chatting and you said, well, you know, I have pictures of Ram Dass, Wayne Dyer and Jesus. And I was like, that is exactly what I have in my sacred space. I was like, I need to talk to this guy. So here we are. Yeah, it was um, my picture. And then I had Hanuman, which is the the god that from the division of Hinduism that he was trained in. And so I had that on there. And yep, I was in the, yeah, I was in the right place at the right time to see that photo and just to have that as my pick. Cause I love the 1970s Ram Dass. Yeah. <laughs> just who he, he was. He was so vibrant. Just, yeah. <laughs> well, you are pretty much an expert on Ram Dass at this point, And we'll get into that more yeah, later yeah, yeah. because we definitely share a passion for that. Now you're also a loyal listener to the podcast. So yes, yes. I love that we have this opportunity to bring you on as a guest and you get to share your story. Yes, it is definitely you know, I listen to your podcast and I know that these stories, a lot of people you're bringing on, you know, Wayne Dyer <laughs> brought on stage or you talk about and talk to. So I found it a privilege and appreciate that you said it's, you know, my story that needs to be heard. And um, I'm just thankful to have this opportunity. Well, you've had a really interesting life path. So why don't we get started with um, how was it? How did you grow up? Like, what were your religious beliefs? What's your background? Okay. In 1979, my dad retired from the military, uh, Fort Bragg here in North Carolina, where I currently live. And um, he had one of two choices. He was a part owner of a um, sporting goods store in Kentucky, or we can move down to Florida um, where my mom's sister lived and where that whole family went to this Christian school. And so... My dad chose Florida, sold his half of the business. We ended up in Florida at um, what I know from the church world, independent fundamental King James only Baptist. They're similar to Westboro Baptist, which is world famous for their their hatred. Um, 
they are a notch below that. And that's how I was raised. And so I was raised in that hardcore. My dad um, became a teacher at the school, a church staff member. Um, the pastor basically set the rules for our household, um, could tell us where we could sit in church and things like that. My my week was um, start of Sunday, three times in church, did bus route, and then sports, Wednesday night church, Thursday night um, visitation, Saturday bus route. I mean, it just, my life was emerged in basically a, a closed community in the middle of a small city in Florida. So for those of us that don't know, myself included, I, I grew up in Seattle. We're pretty liberal out here. You know, what what are some of those common um, beliefs in, in the church? It sounds like it was pretty strict um, yes. in terms of behavior and um you know what what kinds of things did, were you taught um that well obviously jesus is the son of god and um, we had to obey um, all of his teachings including those of the old testament um so included in that were homosexuality is a sin um women uh having any authority is a sin authority over man is a sin women wearing pants shorts in public is a sin um uh, the king james bible was the bible given to the english-speaking people anybody saved um, through any other version was not truly saved by god um, that god would return jesus would return um, after a seven-year tribulation period uh, from the book of revelation there'd be a thousand-year reign and um, during the tribulation period, we were scared to death with all these movies. The left is called the Left Behind series, which you have the new ones, but you have the old ones, which we watched growing in the seventies of kids being guillotined um, in order to be saved during the tribulation period. Um, demon possession. I saw, you know, um, demons cast out of people um, and things like that. Just it was hellfire and brimstone. So why were the children being guillotined to be saved? Were they ones that hadn't been baptized into the church or what is that? <laughs> they were, um, if you were born during the tribulation period, the only way to be saved according to um, that type of theology was to be deny the mark of the beast, you know, 666. Um, you had to deny that, which would be, you know, uh, put on your forehead or stamped on your hand. And so those kids were born in in order to be saved they had to resist the mark of the beast and if you resist your the common belief is that you would be guillotined and so well, that that's sounds how, i gotta say that sounds very medieval yeah. it is it is it's i mean you have to think that's when the king james was you know 1611 was when it was first translated into english so it is it um it was a very traumatic scary i i once hit a note in the bottom dresser drawer um just in case because you're you live afraid of the rapture every day the rapture is going to happen and all the good people will be taken and all the 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 bad people and the fake christians will be left so i put a note in my bottom drawer at age seven or eight that said you know if your parents are gone and all the people you know are christians are gone then don't take the mark of the beast so that way you can still go to heaven. I hid that note in my bottom drawer. Wow. That's, that's tough for a little kid. That's a, that's a lot yeah. to take on. So all of this fear, I mean, what, what did it serve? Did it, did it keep people in line? Like what, it seems like a way of life 
Right. It's supposed to keep you in line. But I mean, all you do is, as long as everybody else doesn't find out, you know that God knows. But what else are you supposed to do? I mean, how do you stop those thoughts? How do you not do those things? You just, uh, I just happened to watch something last night um, from the Morgan Freeman show on God. And it was Why is the Evil in the World? And they told these little kids, you're going to play this game. No one's watching. And they videotaped them and they all cheated. The very next time they said, there's a magic ghost sitting in that corner watching you and none of them cheated. And he was saying the, the results show that just telling little kids God's watching them when they're alone can cause them to behave better. And that was from, you know, a psychologist. Yeah. So, so it's, but I, I'm telling you, I mean, it kept me from doing some things. I, <laughs> I got married a physical virgin quotes because I didn't have sex because I was afraid that God would punish me for having sex. So I did everything else, but I didn't have sex. So, I mean, I lived in fear all the time. Not going to lie. We all did. They still do. A lot of people do, actually. And, um, you know, it's not just one church that that teaches things along those lines. Some are maybe more extreme than others, but um, it's pretty common, especially with children. And, and, you know, people raise their kids usually the way they were raised. So if their parents taught them to fear God and, you know, I never really understood that term that people would say with such pride that like, oh, we're a God fearing nation. And I'm like, well, isn't that backwards? Like, shouldn't we be a God loving nation? Like, 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 why are you proud to be afraid of, of, of what's meant to be a father figure? Um, I guess if you focus on the judgment side, if that's really what you believe, then, then that's more fearful. But if you're, if you're thinking of like a loving and protective and all providing source, which is kind of more how I see the God energy, um, you know, what is there, what is there to be afraid of? And so, um, I had a fairly conservative upbringing, um, maybe not compared to yours, <laughs> right? Yeah. um, but you know, I, I was taught that like, you, you don't want to like hurt God. You don't want to, um, upset him. You know, you need to, you need to be good. You need to do the right thing. And, um, you know, I, that's probably a pretty mild version from what a lot of people go through. Right, and so yeah. I, I don't have that knee-jerk reaction to the word God. So a lot of people in the spiritual community um, are very adverse to right, the word yes, God. Right, yes, I know. Because they see it as this form of control and judgment and fear. And sometimes it was used to do horrible things to people, um, including children. And um, so we use terms like the universe or, you know, right. all that or is or or source and or God consciousness or I mean, consciousness or lots of different words, higher consciousness. Yes, we could probably make a whole list. Yeah. And we do that because this word God has been tainted for for so many people. Um, but I think that that pattern of using fear for, for control, I mean, that goes back a long way, it goes back a long way. Right. Um, it might be effective, but at what cost? Right. Um, a complete, I, a complete walking away from that God. And for the first three or four months, I quit using it. Um, but Michael Beckwith said, you know what? I used to too, but I'm okay with it now. And I'm like, you know what? I really am. Because even though 
I saw him as a monster. He was still he, she, it, they um, still loved me and still provided for me, even when I believed that God was a monster because he's not offended. Or I use the word he, it's just a, I don't believe God is a he. I believe it's force, a spiritual creating force, just like you do. So, um, right. I believe that it does no good. That does no good to focus on the judgment side of man's understanding. So we got a little taste of how things started out for you. Um, Some of the framework religiously for your life, it sounds like your family was pretty involved. And then at some point you ended up becoming a pastor. Um, So when was that and what motivated you to become a pastor? I graduated from college in 1995 and went straight into Christian schools, which were just like what I grew up in. Um, Circle around um, a couple of kids I had in my class, um, recommended to their dad who had just taken over church that I should be their youth pastor. And he came to me and I said, I don't even know your kids liked me. <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> weird. Um, cause they were just quiet. And so anyway, that, that got me thinking, okay, I can be a youth pastor. And so it was a man by the name of Bob Hughes and he was different than any pastor I'd, I'd ever known. He was loving and kind and compassionate. Um, and he took me under his wing and he, he taught me how to love and he taught me what Jesus looked like from his perspective. And, um, that, that changed, that changed my trajectory within the Christian faith. And so that was in 2002, uh, 2001. And then 2002, I went to full-time, um, youth pastoring up in Illinois and if you were to make a movie about that situation, it would be, it would be fun. <laughs> it's just crazy what goes on within institutional churches, especially when you're full time. There are a lot of great places I, I know, but yeah. So I started in 2001 as a so- pastor. Tell me more about what goes on at these places. Are you talking about like the politics of, of, of the organization or what are we talking about here? Right. The politics of the organization. Um, the pastor had had a mental breakdown. The elders hid that from the congregation. Um, he had been diagnosed as bipolar. He hated that diagnosis because Christians can't be bipolar. It just. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit comes in and cleanses your mind. And so if your mind isn't controlled by the Holy Spirit, then you, how can you be a Christian? And so they had, he was embarrassed by this and mm-hmm. then they never told me he was bipolar. And so here I am working with him day by day and he's not taking medicine because he doesn't like the diagnosis and he was bipolar and by the time I left, um, they had run him out of there and the associate pastor and the secretary. And I was left because they tried to hide it all and it just blew up. And then it became a church fight. Those on the pastor side, those on the associate pastor side, and then the rest of us trying to, that were left to handle it all. And so it just blew up. It was ugly. It was embarrassing. And yeah. So I left, I left that church. <laughs> I didn't leave all churches. I left that church. So, 
So you left after it blew up. Um, so the stigma around mental health is because bipolar is diagnosed as a mental illness, right? Right. Is is that the like the religious problem there that like because it's mental because I mean you could have lymphoma or high blood pressure or something and not have it be like a failing of your faith, right? Is it just it's just mental illness. Right. I mean and I was originally I mean those people I'm like, "Well, how can you be bipolar? The Holy Spirit comes in and changes your mind." But it's just that so you believed um, it too. Psychology and psychiatry are opposite of what you learn in the Bible mm. because men start out evil and they're just evil. And um, so you come at it from that perspective and then God comes in and you're no longer evil, but inside that's mm -hmm. what, you know, it's what I'm um, dealing with is that inside we all deal with this thing. We keep saying we know this God, but we don't know this God because we have to say we know him, but we really never experienced. And so it just. Yeah. It's a concept. So from my perspective, the whole mental health thing wasn't quite so black and white. And I went to Catholic school and, you know, I was around religious people, but a little more um, open-minded, I guess, not as right. conservative. Um, so I think people, well, in the 80s and 90s, like people still, they didn't want to admit that like, oh, they were, they were depressed or they were having a hard time. There was kind of a social stigma with it. But I don't think it was so much religious for the for the people that I knew, but it was, it was more like, we didn't have the same line, I guess is what I want to say, that it wouldn't have been like something you necessarily needed to hide um, as, as a, a a religious figure <laughs> or anybody right. really, but there was just that social, social stigma. So what happened after the church blew up and you left? Um, I went down to a, uh, it's called a disciples of Christ church, which was a more liberal church. And I was still on the conservative side. And um, I ended up there as a youth pastor and my conservative beliefs just did not, they didn't go end up working out well with the pastor. He, again, he was a picture of love too. He served, he loved, he was an incredible guy. Kent Reiner, he great racquetball player. Um, I learned a lot from him, but I didn't know it because I was conservative and he was liberal. And when I say, so what, what were those differences? Like, what was it that you didn't agree on? Um, I still had that belief system that women were not to have authority over a man in a church that comes from, um, first Timothy and, uh, first Corinthians. And, um, then the church itself, the denomination itself was, uh, you know, out in California ordaining homosexuals and they'd guaranteed me they would never do that. They're that church, but it was just. I was uh, what was called a Calvinist, which is God chooses who he's going to save. And they weren't like that. And then his daughter ended up really not liking me. So she, she got me just to admit that the church was wrong in having a female Sunday school teacher that was teaching men. And I believed it hook, lion, sinker back then. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. That's, that's who I was. And so. 
Well, thank um, you for your courage in sharing that because it's not, I, obviously I know you've, you've re-examined a lot of your beliefs and made some big changes in your life. And I applaud you for that. And it's not always easy to admit, you know, where we, where we came from or where we started out from, especially when we think differently now. So thank you for sharing that. But Tim, I got to say, I would not have been very happy with No, <laughs> No, I completely understand. <laughs> yeah, but it, that's where within Christianity that I grew up in, you just, I mean, it is brain, it's brainwashing. I mean, there is, that's why I no longer, I can't judge somebody who's raised a racist, you know, they it's inbred. It takes time to grow out of it. Um, they can be shown the truth, but until they choose, it's just so hard because I was raised, they wouldn't say it was racist, but I was raised racist. Um, there's just so many things that just becomes ingrained. And then you just have this view. You have these words translated from a language that you don't read, put into English. And there's an agenda. Translators have an agenda and you just, that's all you focus on your tunnel vision. All you see is what the Bible says, your understanding of it. And your understanding of it is truth that, and that's just, um, that's who I was. And I was a loving person, but it just, it didn't matter. I'd rather offend you than God. <laughs> I get it. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's the agenda that I think is, is the problem, right? right? Like what, what are, what are we trying to teach people? It's interesting that you make that connection to racism, um, especially at a time when uh, it's really in our face right now of how much work we still have to do in this country. And makes me wonder about the link between um, religion and racism. But I don't even think it's necessarily specific to religion, but it is that it's how you were raised and 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 you're told what's right and what's wrong. And and when we're young, I think we don't really question that, especially because we want to please our parents, we want to please our teachers, we want to be good little good little boys and good little girls and do what's expected of us. So, you know, it's really kind of I think built into who we are as social animals, really. Right. Um do you think there's a connection between religion and racism? Um, the religion of the South church I grew up in. Um, I'll just give you an example. Uh, seven or eight years ago, they hired a teacher sight unseen and she was a Latino, you know, light skinned Latino. She comes by herself and then her husband shows up and he's Bahamian. They let her go. They just said, we're sorry, but you know, we don't believe in mixed races mix uh mixed marriages and wow. then in my church growing up a white man and black lady came down the aisle and the pastor stood up and said they wanted to join the church but we explained to them that they can't do that here but our our sister black church up the road will accept them as members ouch <laughs> yeah so, I mean, we've got a different church for you over here <laughs> right the, the black people accept the white the white guy but we can't accept you as a member because be not unequally yoked was his verse they quote, which has nothing to do with races. It had to do with spiritual. They, uh, they interpret it to have to do in spiritual things. Um, but it compared a donkey and a, an ox. 
don't hook a donkey and an ox together. Well, duh, because they don't work well together. So that's all it was saying. Yeah, of course, we are the same species, you know. Right, yeah. (laughs) We all are. So, yes, I, from the conservative sides, yes, I believe racism is, is taught. I wouldn't say it is. I mean, obviously, the church I was in in Tampa that they weren't racist there in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. It was just the conservative Westboro Baptist type churches. So, would that have applied to anybody who wasn't white? Is it really down to skin color? Are there certain races that are more accepted? Um, they, you know, we we had a high. Um, Spanish community, high, high amount of Spanish community in our area, but they were traveling fruit pickers. So, I mean, they were, they reach out to them. They try to save them, but I think they see it as them still as lesser, as a lesser class. There's stigmas mm-hmm. attached to them and, um, right. They still see a clean shaven white man as the ultimate, the ideal, yeah, right. there was somebody else who thought that. Yeah, his, yeah. Name, his name was Adolf. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> okay, <And laughs> that's know, a I that's know. a whole other topic. <laughs> right. Yep. But that's. I mean, I, I get emails from my dad every day. He decided to try, to reach back out to us as kids because my sister was going through a divorce, and um, during the height of the, all of the protests. I mean, he said they're protesting in the town. I got my gun out if they come anywhere near me. You know, there there were people standing in the streets with guns here. Um, and when I saw pictures of that, it just terrified me because I just thought, I mean, they're standing out there saying that they're protecting their property in case protesters got violent. <clears throat> but what are they going to do? Are they going to shoot right. a kid if they break the window? Like, right. is a window worth a life? Like, why? Okay, maybe stand out with a bat. Is a gun really the answer? But, um, right. you know, yeah. that's my take on things. But it it it's, is really frightening to see. And, and I think, again, it's motivated from fear and that us versus them and the superior sense of superiority that, like, I'm right and you're wrong. And this divisiveness is just really... Uh, it's not doing anybody any good. We're we're not going to come to a place a place of peace or or solving the the world's problems or taking care of each other um, with the divisiveness. So I really try not to feed into that. But yeah, there's there's been a lot that's been triggered this year that I think is just floating up to the surface, and, and it's a real call for us to not necessarily take arms against it, right? But right. to but to think about what is it that we want and how can we get closer to that? Now you mentioned your family and um, are you the only one who walked away from the church from your, from your circle? Um, yes. If you're talking about my, the ones I was raised with um, mm-hmm. my brother is still, he's a youth pastor in Michigan. My younger sister is a teacher, Christian school teacher down in Florida. My older sister is, um, the one going through, she's recently divorced. She still goes to church. She used to be a Christian school teacher. She no longer is, but, um, I've been life coaching her for since February and she knows the beliefs 
that I hold to about love being the ultimate. Um, so I, she knows and understands the path I've taken. She sees it. She still, you know, I said, whatever I'm promoting to you can be applied right within your Christian faith. And so she's open to that. She's actually moving here in three weeks to experience our household just to, cause I just say it's a, it's nothing like your conservative Christian life, but when you walk in this door, it's, there's just love. We operate in love and we all have our issues, but we all have love and we treat each other with love. And so she, she's moving, leaving her life behind in Florida to come experience it for a little while. So, but no, my, very interesting. you know, it was, my dad doesn't understand it. Obviously just a few weeks ago, he wrote me a, he wrote a book and I read it and I commented back. Wayne Dyer, Wayne Dyer made me and, you know, reading, <laughs> he's like how we treated his dad, you know, after everything. So I wrote him this kind letter and he just wrote me back this. You should be in church, son. We disagree with each other. I love you. But I mean, it was like, you know, he at pro- least he still loves you. Right. Yeah. 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 In two or <laughs> three hundred he- words of go, you need to be in church. I'm a pastor. I know what the Bible says. Church, 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 church. But I love you. <laughs> So he thinks that you're lost, but he still wants to save you. Not lost in the way that I won't go to heaven. Because in that, that's what's so remarkable. In that, if you pray a prayer, you're saved for life. So it's like, why are you fighting and worrying about these people that aren't living the way you want them to when you've already told them they're good for life? Which (laughs) I now believe there's nothing to be afraid of at all. There, There was... You know, I became a universalist as I left left Christianity, which means Christ died for everyone. And now, now I'm just like, um, yeah, life is life, and you live it until you die. So, yeah. just live and use it, use it to love. Now, at some point, you found yourself in a conflict with your daughter. Yes. So, what was it that was going on there? Um. Even though we, we became, you know, we left the church, we still had this view of how we wanted our kids to follow Jesus. And uh, one night I'm sitting home, my wife's like, I've been waiting to tell you this, but Caitlin's met someone online and um, July 4th weekend, she's going to go spend the weekend with him. And I was like, what? <laughs> She met somebody online. What happens when you meet somebody online? They're in the sex trade, right? Um, She was going to go meet him without ever having met him. And we said, okay, so where are you staying? She's like, in his room. We're like, you've never met this person. He's going to sell you into the sex trade and you're going to sleep in his bed. Yes. So you can imagine how we, we had taught her the purity. We were raised in the purity movement and we had taught her that she had this precious balloon full of water. And every time she gave her heart away to anybody, you pop a hole in it. And when you meet your husband, what do you want to give him? Because we had the view that, you know, you only, you only have sex with the person you're married to. And so we just, now I look at it and say it was a dark night of the soul. That's what happened. I mean, we just were, was devastated, but we told her, look, you made these choices 
you're ready to play adult. She wasn't even living with us at the time, but um, we went to her and said, we're paying your insurance. We're doing this for you. Find your own insurance, find your own cell phone company and you're out of our life. Jesus says this. And right then we were already doubting our belief in hell, but if there is a hell and you're rejecting Jesus's teachings, then you're going to go to, you're going to go there. And then we went home and I was just like, this doesn't feel right. This does not feel right. And my wife and I spent, we literally, we turned off the TV and we sat an hour and both of us were silent. We were just weeping, just weeping and couldn't figure out because she'd hurt. She, it, she had hurt us. You know, we were taking it personally. And at the end of that hour, I just looked at her. I said, we can't do this to her. We, we can't do this to her. And I sent her a text and said, no matter what choices you make, you're not off our insurance plan. You're not off of our cell phone plan. But we just want you to reconsider meeting him. He could be in the sex. He could sell you into sex slavery. And so <laughs> she ended up texting that to him. And he was like, that's it. I'm out. You guys are crazy. I wrote him a letter. I found him on Instagram, sent him a note and said, this is why she's like this. And he wrote back and said, that's great. She's an adult. It's none of your business. This is what we're going to do. How old was your daughter? She was 22, 21, 21. Yeah. But it wouldn't, it, the age wouldn't have made a difference, right? Because she wasn't married. Right. Right. And she'd never been in a relationship. So how can you do this? You've never been in a relationship. Um, we went through that one more time where we went to her and said, so you're still going, you're still going to have sex with him. Cause by that time she said, we're going to have sex. And I'm surprised she told you most kids would not, most kids wouldn't say they'd be like, Oh no, nothing's, nothing's going to happen. It's fine, dad. Well, she's usually passive aggressive, but she had decided her and her brother had decided that if this is the God we worshiped, they wanted nothing to do with them. And so she, uh, we went to her. She just sat staring at us and she had Chris pulled up on her computer so he could hear what we were saying. And she's like, this is what we're going to do. Wow. And so we left and said, that's it. Everything we said, <laughs> we rescind. You're out of our life. And then we were watching. I, I was a Sunday morning the next day. My journey out of Christianity. Um, we were still watching. There was this guy by the name of Brad Jerzak and he does this thing called gospel and chairs. And he's got a black chair and a white chair. And he says, let me explain to you the, what the Bible actually teaches about God. And he said, here's the black chair, which represented man. Here's the white chair, which represented God. And he kept moving the chair back. The black chair turned its back on God in the Bible. The white chair was God. He came to them. He's like, when do you ever see God leave man in the Bible. It's like, you don't, we've created a gospel that man chooses to leave and God lets him. He chased them the whole time. And then he ends with Jesus and how Jesus always, always went after, came to seek and save that, which is lost. And it was that, that video. And we just went to her and said, we're going to help you. Memorial Day is coming. Why don't we take you to meet him so you don't meet him for the first time by yourself on July 4th? So we went to Fayetteville, spent the weekend with him, went bowling. I went to the movies. Um, we came back 
and that started their relationship. He was just this shy little video game nerd, which is what he told us he was. And um, just a complete gentleman, beautiful relationship with his mom and his dad. They're divorced, but you could tell. And by the time they went there, July 4th, you know, she did spend the weekend with them. Um, She experienced it. She came home. And by the middle of August, we invited him to come live with us. Wow. Yep. Because he, he was stuck. His mom couldn't help him because she had to work and we had a stable situation. So he now lives in our house and he's my son. Poor guy. You almost scared him off. I know. He, in fact, <laughs> he, he told her the Friday before we went down Memorial day weekend, don't come. I'm too scared. And we said, tell him we're coming. Ain't nothing he can do to stop us. Um, it, it took a long while and I still wasn't even, you know, my Facebook page is awesome. I'm getting to see what I was posting at this time last year. I'm just now starting to post stuff from the left side of Christianity. And then it gets to um, where I meet my, I've been Facebook friends with a while, but I met with a life coach named Jamal Javanji, another former pastor. He teaches um, basically all the stuff that Wayne teaches and Eckhart teaches and Ram Dass teaches, but it's just the spirituality that exists and even existed in Christianity. It was the original, it was the original teachings of Christianity before they kicked them all out. Um, he gave me my first affirmations. He gave me what I didn't know was Taoism, but um, it's up there on my, my, uh, my board up there. It says I am following the path of least resistance, which is Taoism, which is the Uwe. So he introduced me to all of that and meditation and, as a former pastor himself. So that I don't think I, that I told you about him. I may have, but yeah. So, I mean, that was many months before that, but Eckhart Tolle was the first, he was the first, um, after rain Wilson, most people Dwight off the office. Most people don't know he's a theologian, a Baha'i theologian, basically spirituality. And, uh, so all that happened in it, but it was, what I call um, the dark night of the soul, that that period, and then we came out of that, and love was now God. That's all I can say. You say your God is love. I say love is my God. And so we have my daughter and I are we're just alike. We are just alike. So I mean, it's it's been beautiful. Um, it's changed her life. She's now it's changed change your life too. Right. It's, it's changed. Yeah. It's changed all of our lives. The things that happen here in this house (laughs) now, they just, it's, it's just so much fun here. So your daughter and her boyfriend uh, still live with you. Is that right? Yes, they do. And it opened the door for my younger daughter too, because she got to start exploring life earlier than they did. Um, most people say it's a bad thing, but it's beautiful Seeing her, <laughs> seeing her, her boyfriend. I mean, the only person listening to this is my sister. So my, her boyfriend spends the night here all the time and we're helping them. She's 18. Some may think that's a little young, but when, when love is at work ages, um, obviously if she was 16, it'd be different, 
but she's 18 and Theo is a wonderful young man. He spent all day working with me today. Um, so, and then we have a son smashed in there. He doesn't care about any of it. He just playing video games. So <laughs> he's doing his own thing. Yeah. He's like, what are you guys talking about? You're being kind of loud. I'm trying to play yeah. my game over here. He's like, why is my name on this vision board? Like <laughs> you, you didn't give us anything for it. So we just put your name on there. Right. At least he knows what a vision board is. So right. he's, he's listened to some of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, what a transformation. And it sounds like love is so key because that's probably the the biggest difference in the energy of your life now is the energy of your life before is that it's just completely saturated with love. Everything that you look at, everything that you do, everything that you experience, you see it with the eyes of love instead of the eyes of fear and limitation and boundaries and separation and that division that is really all just an illusion. Right, right. And that's been the key. We are on the change your, change your thoughts, change your life podcast. So when I was looking for stuff to share with my sister at the beginning of life coaching came across the Wayne Dyer five, five, uh, most important thoughts. Um, this like this clip, you know, it starts out with the person who loses their key. He tells a story, loses their keys inside their house. And then he's outside under the light looking for the keys. Like, Oh, where'd you lose? Even other people join him. He's like, where'd you lose them? Oh, I lost them inside. Well, why are you looking out here? Well, this is where the light is. And so that video, along with a few other things, introduced me to Wayne Dyer, Oprah and Wayne Dyer talking about the Dow. Uh, there's a video clip of that. And then um, there's this person named Ganga G. She's a follower of, she came out of this, out from under this um, spiritual teacher named Papa G. So you have Muji and Ganga G. But Gangaji said it was important to pick one teacher. So that's when I chose Wayne Dyer. He Good became, pick. He became my one. I mean, everything. I watched the PBS specials. I watched The Shift. I read um, his memoir. And then it was in the middle of Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, the Tao teachings. He said, be here now. You know, you should, just like Ram Dass said, and be here now. I got it. I went and ordered it immediately. And I got it and I'm like, this is like nothing I've ever seen before in my life. And I put it I down. Thought the, I thought the same thing when I got that book. And um, I had heard about Be Here Now and that's kind of like a buzzword. But um, I got the book and I was like, what is this? Like, what am I holding in my hands? And then like there's some text in the beginning, but most of the book is these drawings the that brown he did. paper bag, yeah. Yeah. And it's really like an experience. So it's, and I, and I think that's so beautiful that he did it that way because um, it's not about the words. It's, it's right. about the feeling. And when you get the feeling, then you have the understanding. And he's like, I remember from one of his recorded talks, um, you know, he said, you know, someday we'll get together and I'll just sit up here and I won't say a word and you guys will all get it. Right. Because it's not, it's not coming from the words, but yeah, that was a, that was a beautiful book that he put together. And I just recently learned that that book was a collection of, of his quotes teacher. from his talks that somebody else had 
collected and transcribed and said, these are these are the moments in your talk that I think you should do something with. I think they were going to do a book right. or I don't I don't know what they what the plan was. Brings it to Ramdas and is like, oh, you know, these the what the guy had picked was like the exact moments when he was like the most tuned in, like the most right. inspired. Like he found like the heart, the heart of his messages and then they put them together and made that book. I just right. recently learned that. Right. Because when you listen to uh, the Be Here Now podcast with Raghu Marcus, he plays when he plays the ones from the late 60s, early 70s, it's all of these. Um, but when I got that book, I was like, I'm not ready yet. So I went back <laughs> yeah. to Wayne Dyer and just stayed with Wayne Dyer because I just, this book is created, you know, from a psychedelic experience and I wasn't there yet. Um, so I stuck with Wayne Dyer and kept reading him and just studying him until I picked up be here now and it made sense and I got it. And so it was like Wayne Dyer told me Ramdas is the one for you. You know, it was, I think just because of Ramdas's raw teaching, but you know that Wayne Dyer said it was Ramdas who, in, who was the one who, taught him to go without notes on stage mm -hmm. and to enter I, from the back yeah. which which i experienced i was um i was in vegas and my sister and i were were looking at the books and like you know behind all the chairs they had these tables set up they were selling some books and my sister and i were kind of perusing and here comes wayne dyer walking <laughs> like i was like oh my god that's he, he's right there. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, he would just walk and everybody would like start coming in just a few people because everybody was kind of taken by surprise. Right. But they would just kind of come and talk to him. And he's like, he's so relaxed. And like, you know, I feel like people never mobbed him because, <laughs> because of the energy that he was bringing to right, the, the room. But he, he put off, yeah. Yeah. He learned that from Ram Dass. He modeled that and and not having notes on stage and really speaking from the heart. And also I think he he resonated with the sense of humor. To me, Ram Dass and Wayne Dyer are very much tied together. They're very much connected in in my um, heart and mind. And right. I think the beauty of of Wayne Dyer, of many things, I'm obviously a big fan. But right. one, one of the things that I think that he did so well for us is he was a safe entry into spirituality because he had right. this background in psychology and he was like, you know, a college professor. You know, he was the he was the the prototype, the standard that we believed in, that we trusted, that we looked to as an authority. He's a white male, like he's got it all going for us to listen to him. And then he starts sneaking in spirituality right yep. so these people that started following him that liked this you know stick up for yourself and this kind of self-empowerment psychology um, angle that he had in his early books now he starts moving into spirituality not everybody went with him but a lot of people did and and i did too now i found him at a young age um right, so yeah. i i dived into I dived into spirituality pretty young, but um, but he led me there, and he led me there in a way that felt safe. And then when I did start reading things like Ram Dass, yeah, it's like I had already been through that transformation. He'd already introduced me to ancient teachings like like the Tao Te Ching, um, right. which is thousands of years old, and it just feels like 
It's just amazing to think about how different the world was a few thousand years ago. And and like the number of people on the planet was minuscule compared to the population we have on Earth today, which really changed the experience of life because we were kind of isolated. But thousands of years ago, they were talking about a lot of the stuff that we're still talking about that we think of as new age thinking, and it's really not. It's ancient wisdom that's still true today that will always be true. Right. And that's the beauty of both of them is they both start out in psychology. They both were professors. Now, Ramdas was at a different age and a different, um, you know, the psychedelics. That's all he's known for as a psychology professor. But you got to watch both of them develop and grow old. Now, obviously, Wayne didn't grow as old. Um, but you can see the development, but I, the reason I was drawn to Ramdas is that the newfound spirituality in his first talks, I mean, he just, you could tell he was, he was a kid in a candy store. He was just, he was high on basically Maharaji. Um, that was oh, yeah. his guru and I, his pictures on the wall now. Um, um, and then you could tell right before the stroke, he admits right before the stroke, he'd become intellectual again. And what he was teaching was truth, but he was wrapped up in himself. And then after the stroke, he said, it took away my sports car, it took away my golf, it took away my cello, and all I had was me. And yeah. somebody asked him, well, what was wrong with all that stuff? He goes, nothing was wrong, but I had become wrapped up in it again. And he said, you know, he called the stroke. Originally, he said Ram, uh, that Maharaji had stroked him. And one of the the mothers from India chastised him and said, he would not do this to you. And he said, so he changed. He says, but it was still, it's still grace. He still, well, still, Mah still Maharaji, grace. Was, Maharaji was his door to God. Right. And Ram Das was already on a path of very much believing that every moment of life is an opportunity for awakening so he you know he was really milking it like he was really um striving to be open to every little thing that happened on every single day and use that for for awakening now for those who don't know um ramdas's background a little bit he was a harvard professor and he was an associate of Timothy Leary, the famous LSD guru. And they actually started doing experiments with psychedelics um, with some of the students in terms of how can this be used as a benefit for psychology. And so they were really coming at it from an academic perspective, but Harvard wasn't too happy about what they were doing. And then Timothy Leary went really deep into LSD. Yes. And then Ramdas, well, they both got fired. So they both got fired from Harvard. So, you know, by um, materialistic ego standards, Ramdas was really successful. He was the Harvard professor. He was doing great. Um, and then he got fired because he discovered psychedelics. But now he'd had this awakening. That was his, that was his opening to awakening. And then he goes to India in search of a guru and ends up finding Maharaji through a series of synchronicities. Um, yeah. And Mah Maharaji, like, I mean, to, to his dying day, Ram Das was worshiping Maharaji yeah. as the love and his, and, and, you know, 
his doorway to God is is how I saw it. And he felt like Maharaji was his teacher to, to his dying. And I was surprised. I was surprised that Ramdas outlived Wayne Dyer because Ramdas had a stroke in like the 90s and after that. 1997. 97. There you go. He lived 22 and years after that. He couldn't walk. For the rest of his life, um, he was severely disabled. He had a great difficulty speaking. I think it was called aphasia. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So he could his thoughts were working fine, but he couldn't connect the thought to the words to speak them. So he was very, very slow in his delivery. But he would still give talks. So I'd like to share the time that I met Ram Das because that's near and dear to my heart. Yes. And it was when I saw Wayne Dyer in Maui. Uh, and I talk about that in my in my first episode. And I hinted at Ramdas, so we're talking a little bit more about him today. But but Ramdas was living on Maui at the time because Wayne Dyer had actually helped him collect the funds to do that because Ramdas um, never took any money for what he did. So you might know this better than me. But what was it that? What were the directions that Maharaji gave him when love, he left India? Love, serve, remember. That's his name of his organization. Love people, serve people, remember God. And so he's a member of the Bhakti, um, Bhakti sect of Hinduism, which is service. And the goddess Hanuman who served Rama. And so they're to serve. And gurus don't take money and things like that from people. They can all you can offer it to them as a gift. Um, mm -hmm. And so Ram Das would charge two dollars at the door, but he didn't charge that. People would charge $2. This book was originally sold for three fifty, and wow. then um, a collection. So that's why he just never, he just knew that by serving people, his needs would be taken care of. So, so he had no money and then right. he ends up in trouble later in life when he can't care for himself. And he, I mean, it's probably really expensive for all of the, the needs that he needed to get through the day and the, and the people to, to help him. And, um, I think it may have been the first time I heard about Ram Dass was Wayne Dyer wrote a letter yeah, I, I asking people for letter. support. I read it recently. And I was, and I was like, wow, whoever this Ramdas guy is, he sounds really important and really special. And I think that's when I started learning about him. And then um, so Wayne Dyer was able to basically um, get funding for Ramdas to stay on Maui. So they both lived on Maui and they ended up becoming friends, which is so beautiful because it started out. So Ramdas is about 10 years older, was they're both gone now, was about 10 years older than Wayne and and started out as like a kind of a mentor figure, somebody he looked up to, and then they ended up becoming um, good friends. And um, that's really beautiful. So Ramdas was at the conference that I went to on Maui and he they brought him up on stage. They actually had to like lift his wheelchair to get him up there because I don't think there was a ramp. And they get him up there and he speaks really, really slow, but everybody's like hanging on every word. And he tells this hilarious story that you've probably heard him tell before about um, meeting Maharaji and Maharaji taking the LSD and yep. like... Um, he took an incredible amount of LSD and it didn't seem to affect him. And, and he says, you know, well, if you're, if you're already in Chicago, you don't have to take a bus to get there. <laughs> Whatever yeah. that quote was. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, this guy is hilarious. Here's this like basically older man in a wheelchair and he's talking about his, um, 
his experience with psychedelics and like, you know, this is kind of taboo. And then he's talking about um, his spirituality and he's so funny. And it's just like, I like at this point, I knew who he was, but I didn't know a lot about him. So after his talk, he's over on in the side of the conference room, they brought him down now. And there's maybe like five or six people standing around him. And I come up and I'm about 10 feet away because I'm like, I know he's special. I'm really interested in this guy. I really, I love his energy. I, I like, there's something, there's something magnificent emanating from this, from this man. But and now I'm going to cry. I didn't feel worthy to come up and take his time because I didn't know enough about, <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get this emotional. I didn't know enough about who he was. Right. And he, he caught my eye and we had this eye contact. And I can't really explain it except that I knew in that split second, in that moment, he understood exactly how I felt. He understood exactly what I was thinking and where I was coming from. And it was all okay. Yeah. I know that uh, Krishna Das, who is one of the those, Ram Das took a lot of Jewish people with him to India and they ended up staying friends. So Krishna Das said to him a couple of weeks before he died, he said, you know, Ram Das, you've finally become the man you thought you were 40 years ago. And I think <laughs> he had become Maharaji. I think he had gotten to that point where he could look in your eyes and know you. And I've had that emotional experience you're having just staring at his photo in the morning. It's just like he sees me. And it's like, you know, that's why I go, when do I get to meet my, my, my living guru? But... <laughs> Right. Well, you know, he probably didn't see himself that way, um, even though we we felt that he was that that for us. And um, but we, you know, we we're all just walking each other home. Yep, that's the first quote I ever. That's how I was introduced to him, December twenty second, two thousand nineteen. One of my Christian friends posted that. Um, rest in peace, Ram Das. We're all just walking each other home. And that's how I was introduced to him. Yeah. So he just died last um, December and yep. he was in his 80s, right? How old was 88, he? 88 years old. 88. Yep. Well, Ram Das, you really milked it, didn't you? You got everything <laughs> out of it. Yeah. He stayed right up until the danger year. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe that was a good time to check out. He's like, yeah, yeah I think I've had enough. I don't need to see 2020. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what's really strange about that is I had a dream of Ram Dass um, a few days before he died. And it was like a visitation dream. And it totally confounded me. Like, I'm a big follower of Wayne Dyer. He's my biggest spiritual teacher, has been <clears throat> for over 20 years. I didn't have a dream when Wayne Dyer died like that. <laughs> like I know that you said you were shocked when you died. saw it. Oh, completely. I, I didn't even know if it was real. I thought maybe it was, you know, one of those death hoaxes, like, cause it was on his Facebook page. It was like, what? Like, is this real? I couldn't find it anywhere else. So I guess that was the first place they announced it. So nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing from Wayne. <laughs> right. But I guess he was with me all the time. I didn't need that. <clears throat> but what's strange is a few days before Ramdas died, I had this amazing dream where I saw him and it was like a, a tropical spiritual retreat. And we're on this like pathway. And I see Ramdas about, you know, 
a dozen feet ahead of me. And there's kind of a few people walking around, like they're going between, you know, classes or meeting rooms or whatever. Um, but it's beautiful outside. And I realize Ramdas is standing up. He's standing up in the middle of this like pathway courtyard thing. And he looks amazing. And I walk up to him and I go, Ramdas, you look so good. And he's like, uh, okay. Like it wasn't any <laughs> surprise to him. Like, why are you so surprised? And I just remember I was looking at his skin and his skin was like glowing. It was like luminescent. And I was just like, it, to me, it felt like radiating health, but he was just, you know, he was just relaxed. He was just like, everything was normal. And I just, I had this excitement and I was like, oh, it's so, you know, it's so good to see you. And I gave him a big hug and like, I was looking forward to whatever this conference area was going to be. And then I woke up and I went, oh, did Ram Dass just die? Because like right. it was one of those dreams that doesn't feel like a dream. And uh, so bizarre. And I, I don't think I've ever had that with anybody else. And like, I love Ram Dass. I really do. But he wasn't like my main spiritual teacher. Right. So why would, why would he visit me? I don't know. But I must be connected to him somehow. And then, no, he wasn't dead. I was like, oh, okay, well, good. Right? Like, right. okay. And then a few days later, Ram Dass died. And I was like, oh. <gasps> I had that dream. <laughs> I called my sister and told her about it. Wow. That's so, yeah, I don't, I don't know why he visited, but he looked amazing. I got to say. Yeah. He, uh, you know, they had a semi-annual retreat in Maui and then, um, he, he, he had a Hanuman Maharaji temple built in Daos or T-A-O-S, New Mexico. I think it's Daos, Taos. I don't know how you say it, but, um, the last one in May, there's a video of him there in New Mexico and in Maui. And you can see he's, he's just so excited, but you know, you could tell he's, he's reverting back to the childhood stage, but it was just so beautiful. And they played it. They had a retreat. The first one, they did a virtual retreat because they can't have it because of COVID three weeks ago. And they played that to open the retreat, you know, I think maybe the lunch period. You know, it's just so, so beautiful because you see him just, he loved Hanuman. He loved Maharaji and he worshiped, he offered him food, and, but he's just there and he's just waving his hands around like a little kid singing the songs with him. And it was the last, you know, retreat he was able to be at. And, you know, I haven't known him that long, but, you know, it just wept, just wept watching. Um, it's like one year too late <laughs> one year, but there's not too late as Wayne always teaches. It's always just the right time when things happen. So, and through In that perfect universe, there can be no accidents, right? So everything right. is perfect timing. So this was, this was when you were ready. And the, the energy that I feel from Ram Dass is so playful. Right. And, and I think I missed that when he was alive. I think I, I didn't notice it until after he was gone. And I feel this energy and it's just, it's just, it's just goofy and playful and like doesn't take anything too seriously, but just love, love, love. Right. And then he'd started teaching the, the bhakti meditation of I am loving awareness. But one of my favorite mm -hmm. things he developed in those later years was love. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. He just, that's what he would say, you know, just, and then he would talk about walking down the street. You know, and you see somebody and you just love them. 
you know, what do you do with that? You just love them so much. You never met them before and you just love them. And he would say to them, you see this wall right here, man, I love this wall. And they would all, cause all the Buddhists and Hindus, American teachers would come to him and he would just, he had just learned to love. And he says what he said, old age was supposed to be for. He's like, you don't hear so well. You get locked inside yourself. It's meant for you to can to finish the spiritual work you started. And you could tell, I mean, he grew so much in those last um, five or six years, which we think, you know, once you reach old, you're done. But he just <laughs> continued. He would have never called himself an enlightened being. He always referred mm-hmm. to himself as the soul and not the Atman, which in Hinduism is enlightenment. Um I think he'd gotten there. Well, I think I think he got as close as anybody's ever going to get, right? right? Because we're we're still in a body, so we're kind of walking um, both worlds at the same time. But I mean, what a gift! What a gift his life was, and he was so honest about his humanity. Right? You know, like like he talked about. Um, I meditated with real meditators for years, you know, and, and I, and I had a guru and I spent this time in India and like all these things that he did that like kind of inflate the spiritual ego, right. Of these things of like, I did it the right, I did the real thing. And he's like, I, I never got rid of one of my hangups, like not one, like all of his neuroses are still right. with him, but, but instead of them like dominating his life now, it's like, Oh, Hey, there you are. Welcome. Like come for right. dinner. Right. He said like, he invite him for tea. He's like, sit down let's have some tea. <laughs> have you ever seen the movie, the beautiful mind? Uh, yes. Not, right. So that's what I thought of is, you know, his, the people he's talked to all the time now just stood off in the distance, but they were always with him. And that's what I thought of when he said that my neurosis aren't gone. He's just like, I just, I'm friendly to him now. So I think that that makes it feel so much more attainable for the rest of us because I'm always wary of a spiritual teacher who's like, I've got all the answers and here they are and all your problems are going to go away. Um, because I don't think that that's realistic. I don't think that's the point of our life. Like if right. we, if, if there was no struggle, if there was no discomfort, um, we wouldn't be learning. We wouldn't be growing. We wouldn't be experiencing. We would be just kind of shut off somehow. But the fact that he was just like, Hey, I'm just a guy. And like, I did all these things and, you know, he was a seeker. He was on a path. Um, but he shared that with us. He was so eloquent. You know, he really got the heart of that message and he carried it through his whole life. So you just discovered him in December, but connected with him in a big way. Do you have any favorite stories of his or what is it that stands out to you about his life? What impressed me the most was, I mean, most people don't realize the impact he had in the sixties. Um, yeah, not the psychedelic, but when he came back, I mean, hippies found him. They, yeah. he had 400 of them come to his dad's house. Uh, they called it the farm with the golf, three holes, of golf course. And he just poured his life, you know, and he was freshly back. He wasn't, you know, he had just learned it all himself, but Maharaji said, go back to America. He kicked him out of India, said, go back. And so just his zeal, it reminded me a lot of the coming out of the Christian tradition 
um, the people in Acts chapter two, that it was his love that just drove him. And, you know, there, there are rumors that Maharaji had been around for two to 300 years. Um, Cause I'm reading the, his book, uh, miracle of love that Ramdas wrote about him. And there are people in India who say their father said Maharaji was his guru and then his father and his father. So I just have this theory. He was waiting for Ramdas. <laughs> it's my theory. I may not be right, but American, you know, the Beatles had their gurus coming over. Um, and so did the grateful dead had their guru come over, but Ramdas, I mean, Eastern spirituality grew in America because of him. Yeah. And, and so that's what impresses me most. I, the weirdest story I've heard, um, was one, I just, um, found it about, he was supposed to go back to India. Um, after, after Maharaji had died, Maharaji appeared to him and said, you need, you will get everything you need there in America. Do not come. Like he was going the next day on the plane and Maharaji appeared to him. And all of a sudden this girl, um, a friend of his calls and says, there's a person in New York. Um, she needs you to come see her. I know. Um, so the more that he got there and found out Maharaji, Maharaji was sitting in her basement and she was just this, uh, Brooklyn girl, Jewish girl that had, um, spiritual gifts. She, she was a medium. And, um, she became Ramdas's teacher for like three months. She would channel Maharaji and teach him while being a mom, while taking care of her husband and feeding her husband, secretly doing this behind her husband's back. Um, he would be wow. there all day. They had, um, secret, um, tap put on the phone or speakers put on the phone so that they could be in contact with her all day because she would stay in a trance. And he would, she would teach while she was cooking dinner, she would teach Ramdas and she'd be like, um, he's Ramdas like something's burning. She's like, huh? Cause she was in, um, she was in, what do they call it? Samadhi. I think it is where she was out. She could only see through her third eye. And so she was in a trance cooking dinner and she forgot to put a pan down. So she was cooking the dinner directly on the burner. <laughs> he's like, oh, no. something doesn't sound right. She's like, well, let me check. And he said she opened her third eye and looked down. It's like, oh, I put it directly on the burner. So he tells that story. That's not out there anywhere. You know, it's like one of those common things he told, but he tells that story. And it was, it was just like weird, but it was, it was Ramdas. So Maharaji taught through her to him for like three or three to six months, I think. Do you know what her name was? I cannot remember her name. I, I went looking for it on the internet one time so mm -hmm. I could figure it all out. I forget. Yeah, I've never heard that story. It must I be, didn't either. Um, and it's not, not written well about, known. but he told, I believe he tells the story. I'm trying, I don't know. He was at a place out in Colorado, a church. He was sitting in, um, it's on YouTube. Um, so he was in a church. It was a recording only. But he's in this church. I believe it was in the church. If not, it was just straight on nothing. But he's sitting in the church. He's like, this is a weird place to tell these stories. We're in a church. And uh, he told that story about her. And I was like, I've never heard this before because I've listened 
you know, to everything I can get my hands on. And that was, it's like, that's just like, that's Ramdas. Maharaji appears after he dies, tells him to stay there. The next day he ends up, you know, going to New York city on his way back to the ranch. And someone's like, Oh, they're looking for you. I don't want any guests. She shows up and says, you need to come. Maharaji's mm-hmm. sitting in her basement. <laughs> so she comes out of her trance and she's like, he's like, why am I here? She's like, that guy over there in that blanket told me to get a hold of you. He's like, he says you're, he's your guru. And he's like, Oh, Maharaji's here. So yeah, that's a really interesting story. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Um, to me, it brings to mind how important it is that we listen to those impulses because you never know, you never know what's coming down the line. But, but I, I feel like, you know, we, we put these intentions out into the universe and that, you know, that energy, that God energy knows everything and can see all the pieces and can move things around in a way that we could have never planned for. So I, I really believe in listening to that intuition. I really believe in, in trusting that gut feeling to go somewhere, to not go somewhere and, and that everything's going to happen for your benefit. Yes. Yes. And I now I have a daily routine of starting out with, um, I say my daily in, intentions in the shower and I just run through all these things. And um, I know we're probably running short on time, but through the Ramdas group, um, I watched the retreat retreat introduced me to Duncan Trussell. I don't know if you've heard of Duncan Trussell, the midnight gospel on Netflix is his thing. He's a comedian, but he's a Buddhist and he was part of the Ramdas group of people. But through him, mm-hmm. I, I was introduced to a guy named Damien Eccles. He was part of the Westminster Three. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Sent to jail um, in 1994 for murders they didn't commit because he was practicing Wicca. Um, and he wore black. And they said he was a Satanist. Well, he used positive affirmations. He practiced magic uh, with the K, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's similar to Wicca. But anyway... Through that, I was introduced to Damien Eccles, and then now I'm using his, this is his book, High Magic. So through all that, I was led to him, and now I'm using his uh, meditation um, through magic, which is all it is. It's, um, if you heard of Aleister Crowley, he was, mm-hmm. a, so it's taking the stuff that he taught and applying it. It's basically, it's Eastern it's Eastern meditation and practices from a Western tradition. So life is just continues to point me <laughs> different places. So I still listen to Ram Dass, um, Duncan Trussell, who has his own podcast. He interviews all the Ram Dass people, um, the circle of friends he had, and then it introduced me to him. So it's just like all those synchronicities that just keep leading me to, new things to, to help me. Cause silent meditation is, you know, it's hard for a lot of people. I'd gotten where I could do it, but I'm, I'm better at these practices. Um, the fourfold breath type exercises. And so I think that reading and listening and, you know, um, mindful movement, going for walks, like there's a lot of different ways that you can meditate and connect and listen 
that it doesn't have to be, you know, sitting and chanting Om or right, yeah. or following the breath. There, there's a lot of different methods, and you know, like like Ram Dass said, they're all just tools. Right. And ultimately, every method is just a crutch. But whatever works for you, it, it gets you in, and then and then once you're in, you don't need it anymore. Right. So, yeah, definitely there is there is a lot of room for variation in people's spiritual practices, and um, I don't think anybody should feel like they they have to sit and meditate in a way that they might think of what meditation is. If you do a little research, you know, do some digging. There's a lot of different types of meditation. I think it's extremely beneficial, but you know, try a few out and see what resonates for you. And if it doesn't resonate for you, maybe you just find your own way to connect. And and the whole the whole point of meditation, at least from my perspective, is to to step back from identification with the thinking mind right. and you become the observer of your thoughts. So a lot of people think you're trying to stop those thoughts, but really you're just becoming aware that those thoughts are this stream that never stops. Right. It's always going. It's always going to be something, but it's not you. So I like to say don't believe everything you think. Right. Because there's these stream of thoughts that are coming from something that isn't the truth or the essence of of who you are. And when we become the observer, when we practice even just a few minutes of a day of noticing what are my thoughts doing, then you start to loosen that identification and then it brings you into that into that space, into that sacred space, into the heart of who you are. And when we're in that space, we we know what to do at just the right time. You don't have to plan it out. You don't have to be reactive to things. It comes from a space of love. Yes. Yep. And that's the driving factor that's important to me. So your life has changed so much. Um, diving into spirituality like you have in the last year, particularly, how has that changed your life? What's different for you now? I used to believe that men were born evil, that their hearts were evil, um, that there was a God who had sent his son to die on a cross to have to save us all from ourselves. Now I see the creative force that is God. It's a spirit. Um, I, I refer to um, the source as the Tao, you know, from the Tao Te Ching. Um, and then the mother of all things um, out of the Tao flows the mother of all things. And so I can go back into that negativity, but I catch myself. And that's the beauty of meditation now is I catch myself. Um, I don't have a negative outlook on life. I try to see everybody else as one. You know, that's what Maharaji always do. He hold his finger and one. Subek. Subek. We're all one. And it's not easy especially in this world, you know, you turn on MS, NBC news and Donald Trump isn't me. He's different than me, but no, he is me. And what triggers me about him is something obviously I'm dealing with. So it's just, it's caused the world to slow down. And I see, I look for synchronicities 
if I do have a reaction towards another person, I stop and I try not to judge them. We all, it's easier not to do that. But yeah, I, I start off every day. Um, I wake up with Abraham Hicks first 17 seconds of your day. You need to hold your thank thankfulness. And if you can multiply that multiply that. So I start out that, um, I am a spiritual being living in a physical body now, whereas I always was, but I didn't see it that way. I always saw myself as two different things um, that battled against you. Yeah, at war with one another, right? The, right. The body, and you have to fight against your natural impulses because by nature you're evil and you can't be trusted. Right. And now I know to go with the gut and the ego is the ego, but it's, it's been your survival mode and it's done what it needed to do to get you to this point until you woke up spiritually. And so we're all spiritual beings loved by the greatest love in the world. Near death experiences teach us that um, no matter what you call it, every path, even the fundamentalist Christians, fundamentalist Islam has a truth in it that wants to awaken them. And that well truth said. is love. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tim, for letting us into your life and sharing this very personal account of your journey and um, letting us see a little bit of your love for, for Ram Dass and Wayne Dyer. And it really warms my heart to, to have this conversation with you today. Now, is there anything else? Um, is there anything that you're working on right now that you'd like to share? I've, I'm like a Wayne Dyer in the beginning. He knew he was supposed to write a book and he ended up writing one. Well, I'm in that I want to write one. And so I've started the process. It's going to be uh, entitled uh, Finding Bigfoot, the Search for the Ever Elusive God. Um, it will come from the my understanding, which is the Christian perspective. But um, I've got it outlined and started the, I've written the introduction in part of chapter one. Um, I have no idea if and when that's going to be completed. Um, but I'm hoping to do that. And then I'm hoping to, I've started a life coaching business and it hasn't started yet, but I've got a name and I've got a bank account, but Great. I'm studying. Um, my life as a pastor taught me, I love people and I love to teach. And so I want a life coach, but I want to, I'm studying and practicing Christian pastors don't have to have experienced what they're teaching because the Bible is the experience, but I know I need to know and understand these spiritual practices. So I'm pouring my life into learning everything I can about spirituality and the practices of all the major religions. Um, I would one day want to, I'm already ordained, but that's as a Christian pastor. I want to be ordained as an interfaith minister and I'm learning. I want to learn Reiki and learn. I've been just doing the practices of the hand energies, just familiarizing myself with that. And so those are the things that I'm working on right now. Well, you strike me as a natural leader, and I think that people will really benefit from all of the work that you've been doing on yourself. 
and sharing that with others is going to be a real blessing. So thank you for, oh, thank for choosing you. that path. Now, for people who might want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to reach you? Um, I do have a Facebook page. It's um, TSN423. That's on Facebook. That's how you find me, Tim Nixon. Um, or TSN423 at gmail.com. And I do have a Wix um, page for my, I'm a certified personal trainer and behavioral change specialist through NASM, which is a certifying agency. So I do have fully awake fitness and coaching at Wix.com. That is a website. You can go see what I'm offering. I'm really just going to focus more on the life coaching right now. Um, fitness is important, but I think, you know, having a plan in place. So I want to help people that way. So great. But that's, and you I, are more than welcome to share anything that you're working on um, in the Facebook group. Right. If you're not already a member, it's the Wayne Dyer Wisdom Community. And, uh, you know, we look forward to having you join us. So, Tim, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for speaking with me today. Uh, thank you for having me. And this is where I'm going to plug you. I had a tarot reading done by Nadia and spot on. It was it was the email one. Um, but it's like you had been watching my life. It's just I was amazed. My daughter wants to do one. She hasn't done one yet because um, my price was the spe the sale special. So, um, but yes, I, if you have not had a reading done by Nadia, you should give her, give her a chance to do that for you. Cause it was amazing. She has a special gift and talent. So thank you very much. I, yeah, for those of you who don't know, I am also a card reader. You can go to angeltarot.org to learn more about my offerings there. And for all our listeners, Thank you for following Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, and telling your friends about it. To learn more about this podcast, you can go to NadiaDelacruz.com. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Namaste. Namaste.